0: Now that we've got the guy, the filmmaker, in the room, what were you thinking about? What was your mise-en-scene? How dare you?
1: Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are with me from San Diego, California.
2: That's right. Uh, You are Cassidy Robinson, the host of this show, and you are broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the middle of the Rocky Mountains.
1: Yes, and thank heavens not recording from Texas right now.
2: Uh, Yeah, Texas. I, man... Texas. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. Like, they're not prepared for this shit and they have the worst senators. The worst uh, everything. Who go, to, who go to fucking Cancun. The
1: worst senators, governors, mayors. One mayor who just resigned because he basically told everyone to go fuck themselves.
2: Yeah. It's real bad. Uh, <laughs> it's really and, bad. And what, what sucks, what forgotten in all the the Ted Cruz stuff, all the and... Um, What's forgotten is, you know, there's still millions of people dealing with this every Mm -hmm. day, dying, because, you know, they are in a place that is not prepared for cold that just got hit by fucking climate change in the realest way. And it's kind of weird. I was, you know,
1: going through Twitter and everything. So by the time this episode, you're listening to it, this crisis will probably be over unless the storm goes longer than than it's expected i was checking my weather app to see like how long this cold front's supposed to last It's supposed to be getting better by friday or saturday or so um
2: but yeah that's a good point
1: i was like going through and it's like i actually know uh i actually know a decent amount of people over there and one person i know you know that i correspond with i actually like Sent a text who's like, hey, is everything okay? Like, you know, are you warm mm-hmm. or, are you, you know, do you have shelter and stuff? And they're fine. Uh, they're staying with somebody else. Their uh, upstairs apartment flooded. Um, this is Ellie from the E-Word podcast who guested on uh, the MacGuffin podcast when we did the emo episode. Their upstairs apartment flooded and the roof caved in on their floor. Jesus. The other thing I wanted to bring up at the top of the podcast, a couple things, actually. First of all, today we're going to be talking about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which uh, premiered on uh, HBO Max. We are an HBO Max podcast now. Um, I mean, they're the only ones putting out (laughs) fucking movies, so. (laughs) We we need uh, need a sponsorship from HBO. And at the end of the podcast, for the streaming homework we 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 announced it last week. we had a guest come in. We've already canned an uh, an interview for uh your improv mentor. Uh, I
2: know he would I, I know he would hate it if I used the word guru, so I'll use the word guru.
1: <laughs> your improv guru and filmmaker and comedian Brian James O'Connell and we talk about his 2015 film Bloodsucking bastards, which is available right now on on Amazon Prime. Um, a horror comedy starring a then not as well-known Pedro Pascal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So we had a uh, really it's, it's- cool conversation with him. So if you're not the type to usually listen to the streaming homework or whatever, or usually like just skip that part – Please listen to the interview. It's definitely the most interesting thing we've ever done on this podcast,
2: <laughs> and I mean it really is. Like we really get in the in the weeds and have a really cool conversation about how he put this movie together. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so I I think it's definitely worth sticking around.
1: And for. he was very candid with us and and told us some really cool stories about the being on set on that movie and about Pedro and everything. So uh, definitely check out the streaming homework after we discuss. Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up very quickly, MK version 2.0 trailer
2: uh, dropped today.
1: Oh. The Mortal Kombat. Fuck
2: yes. Oh my God. I <laughs> lost my mind. Everybody did. Uh, so, yeah. Tell me why know.
1: does this look better than than like, I
2: don't know, the Prince of Persia movie or something. Because it just, it, okay, okay. First of all, you you're putting the heart the horse way before the cart or the cart before whatever uh so my friend sent this to me this morning it was like the first message i got this morning trailer uh and yeah and he was like holy shit you have to check this out and i thought he was joking mm-hmm. uh i was going out like i was perfectly prepared to be very cynical about this remake and i saw the trailer and i'm like are you fucking kidding me this looks incredible. It is fucking. It is like Highlander, but with the characters from Mortal Kombat, sure, and ultra fucking violent, and like it. It just. I think people are excited because it just seems to get it. It 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 looks like the fucking video game come to life, uh. It, and I'm not. I'm not. Mortal Kombat has a lot of lore that it can draw from, but it also doesn't feel like a lot of Decades video game. Or yeah, but it, but because there's so much lore because there's so much world built and that's not necessarily like the story isn't is not uh uh necessarily the thing that is what's driving you to the game right like you can still enjoy Mortal Kombat and no dick about the characters mm-hmm. um so i i think that leaves it open to be adapted into a movie there's so many different versions of the Mortal Kombat story already just yeah. in the game.
1: Yeah, there's no reason it, why a Mortal Kombat movie shouldn't work. It's a tournament, people have superpowers, go. Y-
2: yeah, exactly. And and it just looks fucking cool as fuck. Like, it looks like it, it's gonna have awesome mm. action and killer fucking kills, which for a Mortal Kombat movie, that's what you want. Like, you yeah. want the characters to be big uh, you want it to feel epic and you want it to be fucking violent. And in, in the first ten seconds of the trailer when Jax is getting his fucking arms blown off, I was right. like, that was it. That was all they needed to show me. Red I, was, I trailer. was sold. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. It's
2: I, one of the few movies that I'm like, yes, this needs to be rated R. Normally when when movies are like, and it's gonna be rated R this time, I'm like, okay, you little edgelord, sit fuck, sit down. I don't need Hellboy to be rated R. Mortal Kombat, fuck yes, needs to be rated R. Because somebody's going to rip out somebody's spine and fucking stab another dude with the spine. And (laughs) I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, I'm down. I I, I thought it looked like a serviceable trailer. I don't understand why people are, like, jumping out of the window excited.
2: I have been thinking about it all day. I am still (laughs) losing my mind over it. I don't know. There was just... Something about it tapped into that, like, inner 13-year-old uh, in a way, and, you know, maybe it's because the, the MCU method has spoiled me for so long that, like, my inner child has kind of grown up with the MCU, that, like, this just tapped back into that 12-year-old and is like, no, you still like shit just because it's cool. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, all right.
1: Uh So if people don't know what we're talking about, you can check out the Mortal Kombat trailer. I'm sure you already have. um. Let's jump into it. We don't really have a game or anything because our interview with Brian uh, covered a lot of ground. Uh, But let's start talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah is a new film uh, that stars Daniel Kaluuya as the head of the Chicago or Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party in the late sixties. Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, who was a double agent or a mole working with the FBI who, uh, enters the black Panther party and works closely with, with Fred Hampton as he's beginning to organize and bring different chapters and factions of working class people together, um, across racial lines, across, um, you know, between the gangs and uh, different political parties under basically a socialist leaning uh, populist movement or starting a workers movement. That's actually effective and talks to people more than just within his uh, racial group. But this movie kind of plays around with it in a genre way. So we got kind of two different things happening. There's a, a, a historical biopic about Fred Hampton and his vision, his goals, um, and, you know, sort of a character study happening there with Daniel Kaluuya. And Mm -hmm. uh, his wife he meets, um, Deborah Deborah Johnson, who actually ran the party um, after uh, Fred Hampton was murdered. And now their son is heading the chapter in the Chicago area or the Illinois area. And she's played by Dominique Fishback. Um, Jesse Plemons plays the head of the FBI, or the, I guess
2: the head of this. He's like the the contact. Yeah, the con- for the Lake FBI Stanfield. contact for Laki Stone, the handler. Yeah,
1: working underneath.
2: Uh, Jay J. J. Edgar, Edgar Hoover, motherfucking Hoover.
1: Jay Hoover, played by uh, Martin Sheen, hmm. in a lot of makeup. Um, or does
2: he just look like that now? Oh yeah,
1: he's definitely. There's some prosthetics going on uh but the other the other side of this is so we got that we got you know uh, sh- kind of a straightforward biopic but there's mm-hmm. sort of this genre angle to it because you have lakeith stanfield playing this like mole and he's you know there's a little bit of like something like the departed happening here where
2: yeah there's there's like a crime uh espionage thriller, thriller kind of going yeah on.
1: happening with it and you would one might worry that one would undercut the other. Um, that it would either try and genreify uh, you know, the the serious material and the mm-hmm. the context of the story, or that, you know, that the seriousness of the story and, you know, the super topical as well coming off of, you know, the demonstrations with Black Lives Matter over the summer and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um history is certainly kind of mirroring
2: itself in these these moments well i i think also in a lot of ways uh white culture specifically white culture mm-hmm. popular white culture is catching up to this shit that has been happening for forever decades yeah. that have n- that have not had these stories told that have you know like before the last 5 years uh uh 10 years how many, you know, black stories were not about slavery? Like right. not a lot. Uh Spike Lee, you know, like there there yeah. there haven't been a lot. Um and so I think right now what's very exciting uh what what's very exciting about like this movie and uh Black Clansmen and and stuff like that is we're kind of like the gates are slowly creaking open um and and we're getting to to hear these stories about real american history that i never fucking knew Right. that make me very fucking angry
1: <laughs> right right and, and 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 what i was going to say is I, I you know one one might worry just as you might worry that uh, the thriller stuff or the espionage stuff is going to kind of cheapen the history of the story one might also worry that placing it on on a like important oscar film sort of biopic kind of thing would mm-hmm dry up, or sort the genre of... Stuff, the yeah. genre stuff. And why I think the movie works, and you're welcome to disagree if you do, why I think it works is it, it doesn't take away from either aspect of the film. It is an entertaining, engaging watch, but it's also steeped in very real and very painful history that you can learn something from.
2: Uh, no, I absolutely agree with you. I thought this movie was fucking great. I... I think it is uh uh I mean, first of all, it is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it is exciting, it is uh uh, uh yeah. It's, like you have all the excitement and thrill of a genre, you know Thriller. thing. Yeah. But you also have all of like the incredible performances that you would expect from like your biopics. So I think both are kind of elevating each other. Mm-hmm. Instead of making it be kind of this stodgy biopic, which they can be, you know, sometimes they're very like color by numbers. Yeah. Um, or sometimes in- they kind of
1: hermetically seal the story in austerity and then it just, nothing feels real or nothing feels consequential because it's it becomes like this totem to respect rather than to engage
2: with. Exactly. and And this, I feel like, is... Because it's giving us this, this biopic aspect, uh, the characters immediately engaging and they're immediately distinguished. So I think that makes the the genre storytelling more amplified because I actually give a shit. Yeah. I you know, I care even you know, even though man, I I think Bill O'Neill is such a fascinating uh uh person and character and like And what a
1: performance, everyone is fucking great in this movie, but what a performance by Lakeith Stanfield who has to embody what is like, I mean, it's called Judas and the Black Messiah. He's playing the Judas character in this situation. He's playing a betrayer and betrayer not to only Fred Hampton and, and the Black Panther cause, but really the cause of... You know, a workers party, a a, a civil rights movement, everything.
2: Fucking e- equality. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh,
1: And he has to <laughs> internalize that and create. And you can see it in his performance. Um, you know, Lakeith, Stanfield, Lakeith Stanfield,
2: is, Stanfield is he is so fucking good in everything. He's the
1: king of the quiet cool.
2: He absolutely and is. And he can uh, do so you, much. Have you
1: watched? I've never watched uh, Atlanta, but I heard he's good in that.
2: Uh yeah he's he, I mean it, exactly what you said he's the king of quiet cool like he yeah. is it's a very different character but but they're, uh, he, they're a very, even
1: within this yeah. like fairly reserved role I mean he gets into some fights and stuff but basically his mannerisms in the movie is to be cool and collected and and have it together and you know he is kind of a man of few words um and within the film you know he's playing like He's doing so much like psychological acting in the film because he's he's trying to infiltrate and uh, blend in with the Black Panther thing, but he eventually gets sucked into it and be- well, and believes in it to a at least to an extent. I, I mean that, well, but he has to sell that, that he's a- still on board with Jesse Plemons and the FBI, and you can tell there's well, a, that's, this that's internal Well, That's a credit str- to his
2: acting. Yeah. Is it's like, you you never know how on board he is with it, with yeah. anything. You never know, like, how loyal is he to the FBI? Like, you, yeah. you there are times when you're like, well, he's going to fucking turn, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and just, there are times when it's like, well, how loyal is he? Is he to the Black Panther movement? Is he going to? How far will he go? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the, the whole time you don't know what. I mean, he he embodies a character who's torn. Like mm-hmm. he, they absolutely uh, deliver on that front. Like, and is- there's a
1: paranoia that is palpable throughout all of this movie, especially coming off of last week's review of of the little things.
2: The little things. This yeah. is a
1: movie that is like, you know, maybe I guess you could say sort of tonally similar, but if you look at what this movie does correctly what that movie was failing at every single scene is active every single scene involves characters oh, yeah. making decisions in some sort of emotional turmoil in you know and without ever having to blurb it all out in dialogue
2: yeah it it this movie doesn't this movie doesn't spoon feed you anything but it also isn't uh, like, my complaint with some, sometimes with, like, espionage thrillers and stuff is sometimes I get, like, so lost in the weeds of what's actually going on. Like, the mechanics. Uh, looking at you, looking at you, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> Watch that movie, have no idea what happened. Uh, maybe I'm dumb. I don't know. But uh, this movie is clear. Like, you know what's going on the whole time, but it, it isn't obvious. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, and there's so much subtlety that, like, the scenes are rich. The characters are very rich. Uh, I mean, we've talked, you know, we've gushed about Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Uh, what about fucking Daniel kalua K- Kaluuya? Yes. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya Career best. Is...
1: Career best performance. He's... Career best in a career full
2: of career yeah. bests. Like, he's another very reliable uh, actor. Like... Man, and this is and the type is-
1: of thing I wouldn't have immediately thought he had in him. I mean, I have no reason not to believe that he's been great in everything, but this is such a different kind of character than we've yes. seen from Get Out or we've seen from from Black Panther or, or was he in Skins? I think that's where he came from originally. I don't know. He was in one of those um, like British teen things.
2: Um. Yeah. No. Th- this is very because he has to be this this. Uh, Very charismatic, uh, uh, you know, larger than light. Like, he has to be this messiah. He has uh, to command uh, the
1: room with his voice. He's this great orator. But he also has to present as sort of young and idealistic as well. But also have this kind of wise, world-weary, I've been fighting this war for for God knows how long kind of, uh, you know, thickened skin.
2: He does it all. And again,
1: without expository dialogue doing all that work for him
2: well in their their scenes together too like Mm -hmm. when you know there's even when there's not the underlying genre tension of like oh is he gonna find him out it's just like really cool to see these two actors who are like in their prime acting off of each other it's it's I can only compare it to, like, how excited people must have been when they saw, like, fucking Al Pacino and De Niro acting off each other. You know what I mean? Like, it it has a palpable uh, uh, energy. It's exciting to watch them in scenes together.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the the director.
2: Shaka King.
1: Yeah, Shaka King. There's immediately, first sequence, uh, a style to the movie. And he's yeah. not afraid of, again, this kind of goes into that thing of like doing a biopic, but doing it in an entertaining way. He's not afraid to go headfirst in the style and to, mm-hmm. you know, drench it in atmosphere, every scene in atmosphere and and stylistic lighting. I mean, there's a scene where um, Fred Hampton, or no, Ra- uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character, Bill, um, walks into his apartment after, you know, a, a crazy night or whatever. And there's like red and green kind of gel lighting coming from the windows, and that might seem in any other movie, um, that might seem kind of like taking you out of the reality of the scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. This kind of obvious uh, stylized lighting, but it's playing on the idea of duality. It's playing into the idea of this character who's who's you know lost in these two different worlds, and he's you know so it's extremely thoughtful uh directing yeah. and but also very stylish and good looking as well.
2: It reminds me and I don't want to be derivative here. I mean this is a compliment. It it's cool to see someone who is uh very influenced by Spike Lee. Sure. and yeah. sort of like t- taking that and being like, "Well, I you know, I obviously am a fan of that, but this is my own thing too." Like it it never feels like, you know, like I'm just copying Spike Lee. It feels like, you know, kind of the way Tarantino is influenced by all the movies he watches and stuff. Like, um, it, it feels very like I am drawing from my influences and using it to make a very confident, uh, uh, and competent story.
1: I, I also noticed, I mean, specifically in the style, um, and the way his camera movements, you know, a lot of, you know, very strategic single takes like the scene where Lakeith Stanfield – like they're, the Black Panther base is being shot at by the police. They've been goaded into a, a shootout by the police. Mm-hmm. And Lakeith Stanfield – Yeah, we haven't Stan- even
2: talked about how this movie fucking infuriated right. me yet.
1: Uh, and Lakeith Stanfield he says, you know, I'm going to go onto the roof. And of course he's trying to like – Get out of the situation altogether, but there's somebody down there. So he can't go out the back door. So he, you know, checking up uh, the roof. And he's like, well, maybe I will do this. So and that's all in one take. I mean it's a it's a follow mm-hmm. shot. Um, and things like that kind of like aggressive camera movement and style to the film remind me of a young Scorsese. Um, it yeah. reminded me a lot of like some of the stuff we saw in like Mean Streets or Taxi Driver up through uh, even uh, Goodfellas. I mean, this is that level of craftsmanship. I think. I mean, I hate to I say agree. this, but halfway through the film, I was like, unless this movie shits the bed in the second half, <laughs> am I have I seen the best film of the year in February? Because I, 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 mean, I honestly, I have high hopes, but this is. This is one to beat.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with you completely. I think I... Yeah, it's actually kind of like, why didn't this come out, you know, more closely to, like, Oscar buzzy season, but... I'm very um,
1: separated from the award season right now because I just honestly don't give a shit because last year is, like, such a mulligan for me. Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, I think everybody... I I don't know if it
1: had, like, a... An awards run or whatever earlier that would allow I it also, to
2: be. I mean, you know me. I also generally don't care about that. No, anyway. I do.
1: I do want to see this movie get recognized, and I do want. I would love it to be showered yes. in awards because they it deserves it. But that's certainly not why anybody should should or should not see a movie, specifically this one. I just wonder because it is so good that this could. This is either going to qualify for some weird reason that I don't know. Um or for for the la- you know last year's awards
2: or I don't think so. Uh
1: this this might end up like a uh, Silence of the Lambs situation where it came out in February and swept everything at the end of the year.
2: I mean, I I yeah, I think it it well deserves it. I hope it doesn't get kind of forgotten, but you know, in the weird world we're yeah. in with uh, movie releases and stuff who knows people have short-term happen.
1: memory when it comes to yeah. pop culture for sure but i definitely hope it stays in the conversation because it is that good
2: why well, also i also think this is an important movie i yes. think um uh again we haven't talked about the politics of it much yeah. um and you know this is a black story but it, it all it is also relatable uh as an anti-capitalist story it is relatable to uh anyone who has felt fucking crushed by the current system and the current obvious bullshit that we are currently all living and struggling under and it makes it relatable but in a way that doesn't pander and in a way that doesn't remove it from its blackness yeah and i think that is in and of itself, a fucking accomplishment. Well,
1: there's been a whitewashing. Um, now you put me on the thing. There's been a whitewashing entire entirely <laughs> of the civil rights movement. It was. It oh, was. Yes. I mean, yes, it was about you know integrated schools and and busing, and it was about you know um, uh, sit-ins and and water fountains, and it was all that stuff too. And all that stuff is very important. Um, civil rights, human rights. Are absolutely important, but a big aspect of the main thought leaders of the civil rights movement, whether it be Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, a lot of these guys was a socialist or social democratic uh, political message that was well, I mean, that was carrying on the FDR legacy of, you know, what they what the what they were promised when they were released as slaves was uh, three, three acres and a mule. And they never got that, and that's why the the conversation of reparations is still very much in the air. And oh yeah, part of well, part and, of the reason why the just... feds and and the CIA and all these people crushed these thought leaders or, and and have since whitewashed their ideologies because you don't hear about you know uh, uh, Martin Luther King talking about this the slow what does he say the slow. Uh, uh, tranquilizing promise of incrementalism um, mm-hmm. you don't hear those kind of quotes so much anymore because because a lot of a big part of the reason why the feds got involved as much as they did and did all these assassinations wasn't just to quell the civil rights movement and black rights but it was also to quell workers rights and workers movements yeah. and you know social democracy. Okay, and, now and I'm off my. Two, I'm off my thing.
2: Well, th- <laughs> no, that's I'm. I mean, you kind of got me going. Uh, that's two other things about this is uh, a. It shows, you know, a different aspect of the Black Panthers than, you know, us little white suburban kids uh, uh, heard. Right, because when we were kids, we were told that it was this
1: extreme, militant, dangerous thing. Yeah, they were the black equivalent of the KKK, things like that, and. Oh, I, yeah. have, is- I have, which I have sense, you know, in part thanks to, you know, things like punk rock and and yes, I mean, and uh, I I first heard of Fred, Fred Hampton from Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> they were writing about bullshit. him back in the okay. day. Uh, so those are the you know, I I have since kind of like learned like the propaganda around what the oh, Black I mean, Panther absolutely. Party
2: was and the the um the white supremacy that's inherent in capitalism, mm-hmm. but like. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so that that's one point, is they actually show a lot of the social work. Uh, yeah. They, they, I mean, they do rely on the Black Panther reputation, but they also, like, they show a lot more of it than you'll see in most movies. Uh, and the other thing that I think cannot go unstressed mm-hmm. enough is the government fucking sanctioned assassination of private US citizens. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. How are we not talking about this every goddamn day? Well, it's day? still happening. I mean, yes, but they're it's using been, the
1: exact same the, they're using the exact same language to demagogue the Black Panthers that they did in the 60s and 70s that they do for BLM now. You hear the yes, exact exactly. same language. Exactly. And for, that is uh, my my point uh, exactly or anything that's left of center.
2: And trust me, I, I I know, but I mean, I'm also talking about literal fucking death Assassinations, squads. Yeah. S- yes. Since no to due kill process, private. no trial. None yeah. of yeah. I mean, uh, and yeah, the Black and, and Panther I know. Party. I, I The Black know. Panther
1: Party had I, guns, and they were intimidating. But uh, you know what? They, you know, cops had you know guns, what? and cops and were, you know what else? were Goading them into
2: shootouts. You know what else? They fucking had guns fucking second amendment come on uh i i, I mean here's the thing and and i understand i understand my uh my ignorance you know the the process of of waking is uh unfortunately slow and and i know i'm behind and i know that this shit has been happening quadruple my lifetime and, and that i a lot am, of people are catching up yes and and i'm not i'm not trying to to guilt myself or let myself off the hook. I'm just saying, like, I understand to some aspect where this anger comes from. And this movie made me very angry. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, Because I, I think that is a big part of moving towards equality is learning why that anger is justified. Absolutely. Uh, And this movie, this movie
1: is brilliantly ties in history, messaging, Cinema and entertainment all at the same time,
2: and it does it in a way that that doesn't feel preachy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel, uh, uh, it doesn't. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it's talking down to anybody because it 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 feels like it's just it it, it it's to a certain extent trying to just tell a cool story. Yeah. You know, so I think I think that helps too. You know, and I think that is why. I think that is a big part of of why sometimes it is hard for white people to open up to black stories. is is because of this this very real guilt and and I think you know I think we need to kind of fucking sit with that.
1: Yeah, there, you know, anyway. we've had different points in time in history where films made by black filmmakers or films about black characters have kind of ebbed and flowed in different ways. You know, we had the. Mm-hmm exploitation movement of the early 70s. Um, we had the independent film movement of the late 80s and early 90s with Spike Lee and John Singleton. And that was really kind of a big moment for black stories to be told in an, in an interesting modern way that didn't feel exploitive. Um, yeah. And then, you know, through the 2000s, it was like Tyler Perry and nobody else. And then – and now we're having this big moment again. I would say even back to like 2014, we see movies like, you know, Dear White People and Dope and, and um, you know, these kind of interesting independent films uh, into like Moonlight and, you know, telling very human stories. And now we we have a big range of black stories and now, you know, they're able to tell their stories and they're able to tell their history – um, in a way that doesn't feel token, or a way that 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 feels yeah. "quote unquote" black it history feels like.
2: restrained, and it, it doesn't feel like it is owing anything to the white gaze. Yeah. Like we can either come along for these cool stories and, and open our perspectives, or we can sit the fuck out, and that's fine too. But like you're only yeah. missing out on a cool movie, like you right. know what I mean. And I think so, that like, the
1: story, you know, the the reason why civil rights is important isn't. It's not just about those particular identity groups. The more specific, Even beyond we've that. We've said this a hundred times, but the more specific a story is, the more universal it becomes. Yeah. And this is definitely yeah. a a case study in that. Uh, I also want to throw out really fast um, Deborah Johnson as uh, – or Dominique F- uh, Fishback as Deborah Johnson – um, a very very vital role in the film. She's not
2: mm-hmm. she's
1: not in it as much. She's not as big of a a player in the plot, but she's the beating heart of this movie. And the yeah. few scenes that she has with with uh, as uh, as Fred Hampton are you know centerpieces of the storytelling. And she brings so much realness and emotion and weight to those scenes. I mean, I think that it's as good of a performance as all the male leads in the film. Um, I I think that Martin Sheen and all the makeup is my only ding to the movie. (laughs) He just, it's, it's too uncanny. It's too uncanny Valley. They either should have found somebody who naturally looked like him a little bit more or just tone it down. Nobody needs, it doesn't have to look picture perfect because it ends up looking Pixar. It's just weird.
2: I don't know. It it didn't really bother me. He's You're, not in you know, it a, enough
1: I, for it to be a really big problem. But but I mean, it, 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 he's in like one of the first two or three scenes, and I was worried. I was like, oh boy, what is this
2: movie? <laughs> and uh, then I don't know. It, it didn't bother me. Um, also, you know, just a quick shout out to Jesse Plemons. Yeah, I think he does a. I think he does a really good job of, of portraying kind of all the stuff we're talking about with like the sort of white naivety. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I don't, I don't necessarily think his character thinks he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He actually believes he's he's a true
1: believer in the messaging of the, of the FBI and this, he does, he, he really thinks he's like solving problems until, until it gets to a point where, he has to pick a side, and it's not a uh, a big surprise which side he picks.
2: Well, but but also I think he plays it in a way, and the movie portrays it in a way that shows that shows how he got there without I I don't know without uh overly uh, uh without making it overly dramatic, you know it it it. Well- doesn't make that the point of the it's movie. It's the old cliche of is, I
1: was just following orders.
2: Yes, exactly. Uh uh and I I just think it's played very well. Yeah. I think I think uh Jesse Plemons does a really good job. I mean, he's such an uh, I think underrated actor and Oh, uh, well, he's
1: definitely you know, having he, his moment now. And I think, you know, it's funny he played um Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in The Master and I kind of feel like he's kind of like... He's not quite Inheri- as... He doesn't have as many tools in his toolbox as, as Philip Seymour Hoffman did, but he's kind of occupying that space right now where he could be a complete fucking sleazebag in one movie, and you can genuinely yeah. feel for him in another.
2: Totally. Yeah, I, I I actually thought that while watching this. I was like, he he's playing the parts that Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been mm-hmm. playing 15 years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely uh yeah, this is a really cool movie uh and, and again, we've talked a lot about how you know important it is like it is a it is a, a banger, you know, like it is exciting in all the mm-hmm. right ways uh uh it 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 doesn't feel overly preachy. No, it doesn't it, feel over it, long it's
1: it's uh, yeah. it's a really thoughtful, well made and visceral thriller on top of being. A great important historical piece.
2: Totally. All right. Um Uh yeah, what are you what are you gonna give Judas in the Black? I'm Messiah? giving
1: an A plus. You know, despite the bad J. Edgar makeup, it still uh is mitigated by everything else in this movie, which is top notch. I mean, I haven't seen him I haven't seen a movie this good in a long time where I just walked away and was like, that's a fucking movie. <laughs>
2: Uh, I don't know. I, I felt pretty good about promising young woman. I feel like we, I did we've too. had a couple, uh, and, if, uh,
1: and, and if there's one more movie that like kind of like rings that bell in a similar way, that's like enough to write an article. But <laughs> you, you know, I can't do it with two. But if, if there's another one that kind of like plays around with subject matter and genre in the exact like perfect ways and making you angry and making you totally. entertained and everything, the the two movies. Um, they're, do they're the very, balancing act in in a in a similar way. of course And they're
2: very uh, of this time and that of and the that's moment. very yeah. I- exciting. Um no I I agree. I give this an A+. Plus. It's it is a hands down a really good movie.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to the second half of this podcast. Um we have a guest today brian james o'connell
2: yes yeah he is a a filmmaker comedian uh i consider him one of my improv mentors uh yeah yeah he's giving me a big old thumbs down you can blame brian um
1: (laughs) and actually to just to get into this i want brian's first impression of keith what was the context oh fuck you (laughs) set the scene um where did you meet keith and uh how did your relationship blossom
0: who no uh, <laughs> hey everybody thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate that always looking for work I guess um, I guess I'm glad a to know that you're allowed to curse on this podcast is like oh yeah, right into yeah. It. and uh, number two uh, I really appreciate you know because there's nothing that's uh, that is better for an improv scene than to immediately start by pimping someone out. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> To asking them how they met. Some of was it camp? Was it camp or was it
2: Pat? Uh, I, I I think it was the first time we met was Red Rock, and then yeah, you yeah, were yeah, there yeah. for my engagement. Actually,
0: that's right. You, <laughs> you pulled off. You pulled all the different signs on. I pulled a full Love
2: Actually on she that. She had,
0: well, yes, the way you did it is very adorable. The way it happens in Love Actually, <laughs> that man is a psychopath. You should yes. get away from that person. <laughs> Holy
2: shit, we just rewatched that, and I was like, this is not okay.
0: <laughs> Rick Rick Grimes has gone crazy. You got to get out of there, girl. Um, yeah, but that—that's the. I think that's the very first thing I ever saw, and I remember sitting in the back and going, "Like this is so cool. She has no idea what's happening. This is like I was like oh that's nice and I remember I remember uh, t- to borrow a pro wrestling term like I popped pretty hard for that in the back I was like yeah and then I think and then I think I do like a workshop the next day I was like oh this guy's also funny like the show is funny but it's like you never know until you get someone in class yeah. like it's like oh shoot this way all right and then he just and then you know you show you show uh, like a basketball player you show Keith a move once and then he like has it forever
2: oh no don't <laughs> no, do that. First Too (laughs)
1: late, but Keith, was that like kind of a low key flex too? Because you immediately are the guy who proposed to his wife, and now everybody is going to remember you regardless of your performance at this particular event.
2: Yeah, was that a little strategic? That was the plan. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Who who gives a fuck about my set improv yeah. is of the moment it is ethereal uh it doesn't matter after it's done uh-huh. but a fucking proposal that's on YouTube afterwards <laughs> uh this kid came up to me this this young sweet little man and he came up to me and he was like bawling and he was he said to me uh I watch uh, proposal videos like nonstop on YouTube, and like I got to live one in real life. And he was like crying, and I was like, "This there's, is a lot for there's me." There is a man, lot like, going on. I, I just in got stories, <laughs> uh, but it was it was very sweet. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The good thing is that um, it didn't like it didn't have that much. It didn't have that sort of negative effect on me, Cassidy, because I'd already been involved in uh, getting a stranger. Uh, engaged on a stage during one of my improv sets. Uh, okay. Oh, it was back. Yeah, it was back in the day at iOS when I was still the bar manager there. And so I was in the office during the day, and Mike Canale, the training center director, answered the phone, and I could hear he was like sort of talking and like I don't know. How and eventually, I just heard him go, "Yeah, like we don't really do that here. <laughs> like I don't like we don't really have a show that. Would... And I just like turned in my chair, and I was like, "What you?" I was like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, can you hold on a second? This guy wants to propose to his girlfriend during the show, but like, I don't know. I was like, give me the phone. Hello, who's this? This is Brian O'Connell. I can help you. And so, like, we, I had a show that I did with like John Conroy and a bunch of those people, Mm -hmm. uh, Alexis Simpson, uh, a bunch of Tommy Bechtold called Extra Strength. And we did the three, we did the three mad rituals. So we had, we did three improv, long form improv forms back to back to back in an hour. So there was a, there was a natural, stopping and starting point where we could say for this next show, for this next piece, we need, a, we need a suggestion and for this, we interview, and since they had never been to the place before, she had never seen the show, she didn't know what it was or not, mm. so like, we were like, we just need a volunteer to come up and we're going to interview them really quick about their day. Um, and then so he volunteered and then I did the interview with him. I was like, wait, a minute, you're here with your girlfriend? He's like, yeah. I was like, who's your girlfriend? And then the whole thing where the whole audience is like, get out there! So he's like, oh nice. no, I don't <laughs> I don't want to be part of a comedy show. She had no fucking clue. <laughs> and then and he got her. Like he she like turned around. Like we played like a game. I think Conroy ran like the game with her. And when she turned around and he was on one knee, like, and we got a great photograph of it. And in the background, like Travis Goob is like, yeah, like caught in <laughs> caught in midair at like the end of an eighties sitcom, like,
1: hooray! Right. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh, I'm still great. I'm still friends with that guy. They are
2: no longer married, but I am still friends <laughs> with that guy. Nice. Well, that's me perfect... and my wife are. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are still married, so yeah. So you're, uh, you're you're one you're... for two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> one for two on the proposals. That's the national average. Um <laughs> so one of the reasons we had you on here is because right. you made a film in yes, 2015 called Bloodsucking Bastards. That incorrect. is available to watch right now, streaming on Amazon. That's where I Amazon, watched it.
0: Amazon Prime for free. Yeah, if you have Prime, you can watch it right now.
2: Uh, also, if you don't have Prime, because you don't want to give Jeff Bezos any more money, like me, you can watch it on Tubi.
1: Yes, is, Tubi, that's underrated uh, underrated platform. Um, and we, uh, we wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about sort of filmmaking in general. Usually... We're kind of doing more like value judgment, sort of like crit- criticism, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But now that we actually have the guy here in the, in the hot seat, yeah. I'm far more interested in kind of talking to you about process, uh, talking to you about casting.
0: This is uh, put, really putting
1: the screws to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> now that we're going to make you guy, sweat. <laughs> now that we've got the guy, the filmmaker in the room, mm-hmm. what were you thinking about? What was your mise en scene? <laughs> How dare you?
1: Well, I, I I do want to talk about your sets because it is a very I, I was count, I counted it about halfway through the film. There's what four sets
0: about? Um, we built all of that, including uh, the uh, lead female character Amanda's uh, apartment. apartment. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That was all in the uh, basement of a building up in the valley in Los Angeles. Uh, so. Uh, friends of the producers, the Fortress Features guys, mm-hmm. uh, worked at, worked in an office upstairs. It was a really weird office. It was kind of hot of everything, but they weren't. I'll never forget. It. it was Blue Tax was the name of the company. It was basically one of those companies where they say, "Hey, do you owe ten thousand dollars or more to the IRS? Come and bring it to us." <laughs> We'll consolidate it all for you. We'll pay it for you, and then you just pay us. So upstairs, there was just a lot of people constantly screaming at poor people to pay them <laughs> the money that they owe them. It was a very, it was a very bad scene. Very, yeah. but downstairs, downstairs was an abandoned call center for a reverse mortgage scam that the FBI had raided. <laughs> the guy who the guy who ran it was an israeli national who found who got tipped off ahead of the time of, that the fbi raid was going to go and he bounced back to israel and so they left everything there damn that holy they, shit that you could well, walk that's away that's your from. next
2: movie <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and so and so since it was just free space we went in and they're like we got it for pennies on the day cuz their friends were just like look we just own the building and this is a space nothing. so like part of it was actually kind of a converted garage like if you go out the back of our call center on the movie. Mm-hmm. If you go out the back of that, there's a giant garage where we shot the garage, where, uh, where some of the killings happened. Yeah. Where, the parking uh,
1: garage.
0: Yeah. The parking garage. That's the, that's just right off the back of the, uh, call center. Uh, and there was a, off to the right where you never see, I could never, I could never shoot that direction because it was just a bunch of, uh, half built to three quarters built Hollywood movie backlot prop motorcycles and various (laughs) ways of disrepair. yeah and then we shot we shot uh her apartment in an abandoned uh closet that we just painted and put up some pictures Mm -hmm. when she goes when she's like quote-unquote washing the dishes in the kitchen and like pokes her head out to be like who are you talking to are you on my phone right now Mm -hmm. she is literally standing in a broom closet filled with nothing there's no there's no sink in there. There's nothing. That's great. We shot, All right. And then uh, you know what? I
2: didn't track that. And I yeah. I watched this twice uh once earlier this afternoon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so there was uh none of that. Uh so even even when uh, at the end of the movie when you see them walking outside, that's the street across from the building like we never left. That area. It was all. It was. It was a true one location shoot. Yeah, and I would have suspected it was a uh, just a small soundstage
1: or something like that. But uh, that's great. So, did you use all of those computers and stuff as your props, or we used
0: uh, there, there wasn't so many uh, computers. We got a lot of that stuff sort of donated or borrowed from. That's why all this stuff. Again, I, I did this with my first feature film, Blood, Second Bastards, was my third one. But mm. I always encourage people that tell the type of story. And, uh, that would justify the story that you're telling, like, so that not having a lot of money becomes an aesthetic choice mm-hmm. and not a mm-hmm. choice that you're constantly trying to work around. Exactly. They work at a, sh- they work at a shitty company. So the fact that yeah. we don't have money to make this look better is the point it's, we're mm-hmm. not trying to dance around it. And even then we didn't have enough money for like, you don't see a lot of stuff on the walls and all that. So that's why you see me fill the frame with the actors a lot. Cause I got nothing else to fucking shoot. Yeah. 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 Um, but there is, uh, there is. There was some, like, leftover phones, a lot of uh, leftover uh, cubicles that we reused and repurposed and built. The best part is that the two offices, the one for Ted and the one for, uh, you know, Evan, eventually Max, when he comes in, the villain, uh, those two we built from scratch and sort of, like, made really nice and all that, which was the worst like, we hooked it up for juice, for everything, mm-hmm. for, like, power, and the worst was the people upstairs would, like, come down, like, during their lunch breaks and kind of like, yo, because it's a movie. Oh, a movie's getting... Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And and yeah. they would look at it and we would overhear them, like, saying, like, all right, when this leaves, we're going to, like, fucking rock, paper, scissors to see what's going... Because the, the offices that we... <laughs> the offices that we built were better than the shitty stuff that they had upstairs, mm-hmm. and I didn't... And I never was had... Was
2: everything ho- just, like, Dude, covered in caro syrup when that's a, the scavengers that's a, came
0: in? <laughs> You're uh, you're a little bit ahead of me and stepping on the <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. We had we uh not there was nothing in our contract about we shot pretty much linearly because uh, anything we destroyed we couldn't afford to rebuild mm-hmm. yeah so we so it we shot linearly as as pertains to like the level of destruction throughout the course of the film yeah but nowhere nowhere in our location contract did we have that we had to clean it up afterwards so everything nice. you see at the end. Everything you see at the end of the movie, everything being destroyed and covered in blood, all that, we fucking walked away
2: <laughs> and never looked uh, back. That, that janitor at the end, that's like her genuine reaction. Mm-hmm. She she wasn't uh, 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 like a day player. She's just like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> no, that's actually... That's my girl, man. We got her... Uh, uh, Yvette Yates uh, found her at the last second. It was like, hey, I got a friend. You know, pick her uh That woman... Uh, plays a judge now on All Rise.
2: Nice. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. yeah. Her
0: her, inst- her Instagram is uh, everything is just her in a judge's robe and like all the other famous actors that come
2: in and do a uh, do a one-off. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you're, speaking
0: uh, of Oh, go ahead Keith.
2: I, I was going to say speaking of people you've worked with right. who've blown up. I mean, the man himself yeah. the Mandalorian if you will. Yeah. Uh fucking you got to work with Pedro Pascal before he Skyrocketed into the stratosphere. We got mm-hmm. him at the perfect time. He was, um, a, a,
0: it was a mix. The casting, because I you know Cassie, you wanted to talk about casting. Casting was a mix of us calling in, uh, people that we knew mm-hmm. and, uh, people that Fortress Features knew. Like, uh, Emma had done their movie, The Collector.
2: And oh, so they okay. knew her.
0: Yeah. And so we, and we knew a lot of people. And then, like, some people were uh, were suggested by our casting director. So we met, uh, she was like, oh, I have a guy, let me suggest Pedro Pascal. And I looked him up, and this is kind of nerd I am. I was like, oh, that guy had a three-episode arc on Law & Order SVU as a dirty DA agent. Oh, I love okay. that guy. So this hey, is whoa, prior
1: so that, to Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings. This is
0: prior to uh, Game of Thrones, even. Well, well here's the thing. we uh, I met with him for two and a half hours at a coffee shop in Hollywood. We probably talked about the movie for, like, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then just a lot, just two hours of, like, getting along and chatting like we got along like gangbusters he's one of the nicest sweetest people we were, we were talking about like family problems and like our friends and like yeah this friend of mine or like her husband like left her and he's, he she's she's paying his child support and instead of on the kids every time he comes to pick up the kids he's got like a new watch i'm like what kind of man and he's like what kind of man like, we were, just like <laughs> we were just all together and so i was like at the end of it where i was like i really like you, I was, like, I really like you. I was like i really like you too um so it was in, um, and I obviously I'd seen him in some other stuff that I knew he was like talented. We got him right after he had gotten cast in Game of Thrones. Wow! But be- shit! But, be- but before he had left to go shoot it, mm-hmm. and he, and he even told me the story because he's a huge fan of the books and the TV show. Yeah. So as he was reading the pages, like he was like, they sent me like 14 pages of sides, and I was like. I, there's no way they're going to give to me. He's like, they, they've only hired one American actor, Peter Dinklage. There's no way. They, and then since they shoot all, I mean, in Europe, they tried to use all European actors mm-hmm. to not mess with, with the American unions as much yeah. as they can. Yeah, right. So, so he's reading through all the pieces, and he's like, oh, this is so good, but like, there's no way I'm going to get this role. And then he like one of his favorite characters, their death was spoiled for me. And he was like,
2: fuck that. So
0: like through the pages everywhere. He's like, son of a, he's like, no, I'm not going to get this role of the red Viper. I'm not even going to like, I'm- now I, now it's been spoiled for me. My favorite character dying, <laughs> but, the- but they booked him. Uh, and so we shot him. We actually had to give him like two days off for him to do like, uh, I think like a two, like a two episode arc on like CSI or one of those. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can't, I can't remember. Just to work out his counter, but while we were editing, he left to go to Europe to to shoot Game of Thrones. So like, and so I think I think we we definitely premiered. I think we premiered either right before or right after Oberyn Martell shows up on on HBO on yeah. on, the, on the in the episode, yeah. and it was like right after that. I was like, I knew. That guy is the nicest human being on the planet. He deserves every single thing that uh, is coming to him. That's but he's incredible. also, but he's also insanely talented and good. At that point, I knew I was like, oh, he's a rocket ship, and uh, I'm just, I'm gonna be answering questions about this guy for the next ten years. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, that's uh, that. Honestly, that was how, how I even thought of the movie was his performance in Wonder Woman '84 is like. It is like the less evil version of of your character. Uh. Yeah,
0: I, I was watching that with I was watching that with my girlfriend in my apartment because I'm not a maniac and not going to a movie theater. Uh, very early on, when he does when he does a point i was like he's doing the max bit he's literally he's literally <laughs> yeah and she's like what are you talking about i was like i shit you not that's the exact same move when he gives the big speech it's not the point he does the uh the double fist clutch yeah go to go to blood sucking bastards when he gives that first speech of when he's like i want us to do a million dollars in sales this month and that very first time that he shows up as that character wonder woman 84 he does the exact same double fist bump i was like motherfucker
2: you threw it in <laughs> You Even as a line in. that's similar to the, the fucking meme, that's, you yeah. know, like, mm. uh, life is good, but it could be better. It's like something that is just off from that, that is like, oh shit. Yeah, the same thing. I was like, if you watch it, I, I watched it in about
0: halfway through the movie. I went, oh, he's doing a combination of Max and like, 1991 Donald Trump. Right. It's a yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just literally what it is. Yeah. And
1: actually, another character that I wanted to bring up that his character reminded me of, specifically in the context of Bloodsucking Bastards, what with him being a vampire and all, um, were in the writing process, the screen, the the, the screenplay and slash your direction with him, were you thinking at all about Chris Sarandon and Fright Night?
0: That's 100% why his makeup looks like that. Yes, brother.
1: Because exactly- <laughs> we just we just talked about that movie in October. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's basically – I mean, you know, elevator pitches, they can be kind of obnoxious. Mm-hmm. But it's basically office space means right night, right? Is that the pitch?
0: Yeah, we got a lot of that. We also got a lot of, like – uh 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 office space but with vampires sean the Dead but with vampires yeah like, which I will, I will take those comparisons all day but like a big part of for me is definitely I'm a huge fan of those early 80s um monster movies yeah uh prat- practical effects forever mm-hmm. uh, that is how I get down yeah and then early on when I was talking with Mark viliobos our uh, our effects guy he was like so what's the kind of look you're going and I sent him a picture of Chris Sarandon on fright <laughs> night and and he just sent me an email back he says cool definitely yeah who's playing who's playing him and i sent him a picture of max he went oh totally <laughs> yeah and I, th- and I think i think once i think once pedro because like i saw i met him for coffee we had a couple of interchanges after that but he was gone he, he works all the time even mm-hmm. then so the, the the projects the profile just wasn't as big but he's he's been a constant worker since the mid 90s um so when he first came in and was getting fitted for the suit and all that, and he was like, "Yeah, so what is it going to I all I had to do was just show him the pictures and me and Mark kind of told him like what his makeup was going to look like. Yeah. When we eventually got to that part, he was like, "Oh, okay." And then like, it's just that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's a good good call on you, Cassidy because that's <laughs> literally when he when he does the big turn in the and the big third act right? And, you know climax fight, fight, when he turns around and he's you know he's vampired up. It's we are literally just ripping off Chris Sarandon from Friday.
1: <laughs> well, and in the characterization as well, and even a little bit in the plotting because you got the situation where the one guy knows but nobody believes mm-hmm. him, and he's yeah, uh, you know he's so charismatic and and sort of well, controls I mean- the room.
2: I, sure. I mean so that's something I want to compliment you on cuz th- this last October I watched a fuck ton of vampire movies. Yeah. I watched just about every one of them and you got like all the vampire lore in there, Ooh. you know, master vampire, mm-hmm. the vampires are seductive. Uh I and that's to me something that I mean I like about vampires. I I, I think it separates them from like other monsters like zombies and shit. Mm-hmm. Because they are smart, they are seductive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite scenes is at the end when there's all this bloody carnage, and Pedro just turns to the uh, the other guy and he's like, "No, I want you to learn how to uh, uh, micromanage." Like, yeah. because that's, <laughs> no, no, like
0: no, no, that's... no, you can't get in there because then you have to learn for your team that they have to fend for themselves. You know exactly. It's, like it's, a uh, it's just it's so
2: <laughs> funny because like that's what vampires are. They're they're smart. They're still. They're still, you know, sentient. Yeah. They're just sexy and evil now. There's
1: room to build a character. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. 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 I'm like a Frankenstein irony. or a zombie.
0: <clears throat> yeah. The great irony is that, uh, thank you for the compliment. We we did try and get as much of that vampire lore in there mm-hmm. so that you can make, so that you can play with the tropes and you can make fun, so you can make jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to have the lore in there to make jokes. The only thing we didn't do, obviously, was uh, no, one, no one sparkled, uh, <laughs> but that's... I like to say we just we just didn't have time. We ran out of time. Right, <laughs> but the, but the the great irony is that I'm a werewolf guy. That's always been first and foremost. Like it's always been like a vampire versus werewolf, even to the underworld movies. Like, right. Oh, these these yeah. dirty like is all that. I'm like you guys, you 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 uppity royalty pieces of shit, man. Me me and my dogs will kill you. But like that. Uh, that's been sort of the great irony that uh it's it's been nice. I've had I've been fortunate enough to have a, le- a lot of nice uh things said about me in the uh in the horror press when they start sure. comparing it to other other things like from Dust Till Dawn and those kind of things it's like we went to we went to Horror Fest in Dallas and they were I think the best compliment we got was like we watch a lot of horror comedies here because they're cheap and easy to produce and all that. Yeah. And almost none of them are f- either none of them are funny. It was like how do you put it? It was like Either they're not funny at all, but have great gore, or they're really funny, but like puss out on the, on the uh, horror. The but yeah. but yeah. you guys had, but you guys had it all. It was I was laughing my balls off, and then people's <laughs> heads were exploding. I was like, I was like, I made, I made this movie for you, random person at the Q and A.
2: Right, right, totally, yeah.
1: And yeah. horror audiences, you know, are 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 some of the best audiences because they're super loyal, and where a lot of people will turn their nose up at genre fair, um, horror audiences like to really get into the nitty gritty of you know even the most cheaply produced directed dvd Mm -hmm. kind of stuff which your film is not but this did bring it wanted to uh remind me of a question i wanted to ask you your first film was like a
0: straight horror film right i well i think it's a comedy but then again you have to remember that uh i think i think American Psycho is the funniest movie to come out in the last I do years. too. I hey, think American that's a black is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. We're
2: all in agreement there. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um,
0: my my first movie killer view was a uh it's the it's the as to at to date it was the first and to my knowledge the only still the only movie shot on com- uh completely on disposable video cameras. So that was sort of my in and my hook mm-hmm. when oh, I started right. when I started shopping it around uh basically it's a film within a film it's a uh, cinema verite kind of like uh take it's a found footage kind of deal Mm -hmm. Uh, a a serial killer wants to retire but doesn't want his life's work to go unnoticed so he hires uh a, a college journalism student to follow him around and document his life and when i say it's a comedy i think it's a comedy in the sense that it's very brutal, it's very uh, some of my some of my best reviews on my filmmaking have been till this day still killer view the people that have been able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a comedy because there's lies in there like well like who do you call if you get sick? I mean like what do you mean like you know who who does a ninja call <laughs> right? Like I'm like you mean like hospital sick or if I get a cold you know? <laughs> and then and then like and then at the end and at the end of that seg- at the end of that scene. Uh, he's like, what uh, do you ever think about, you know, settling down, maybe having a having a wife, starting a family. And then, you know, the char- the character pauses and the whole thing is shot so that you never see the, the serial killer's face mm-hmm. straight on to, you know, so he doesn't get caught afterwards. He's not stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking about, <laughs> you know, talking about characters being stupid you know, right. and, and not not being stupid. So he just takes this long pause and he just goes, uh, how could I bring a child in this world when there's people like me in it? And they're just like, <laughs> and then just like that long walk away from the camera that they used to do on MTV's Laguna Beach or the Hill. <laughs> and, like, and like the music swells. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. If you like the the hor- horribly dark humor, there's a lot. Well,
1: I guess there's what I'm. There's a I wa- lot of that. The, what, uh, the question that I had was <laughs> mm-hmm. do you approach, you know, going from your first film into Bloodsucking Bastards, uh, which I know is your third, and then. Even uh, Heldon, which was like an animated animation thing you were working on where you Mm -hmm. riff on old video clips and old cartoon clips and stuff like that. So you seem to be very interested in genre and very interested in horror and science fiction and these type of things. Mm -hmm. When you approach that, are you always thinking about it in terms of how do I build in comedy set pieces and bits? Or are you thinking of how do I effectively pull off the horror and where can the comedy naturally come from
2: there? I just have to point out, I have the same question in my little notebook here, but <laughs> nice. you said it much smarter. <laughs> you and your film degree.
0: Uh, no, it's a, it's a great, great question. And thank you for that. I, I, I see, I think it's a little bit easier for me. And I think that's why I, I may have been, lucky luckier or maybe potentially more successful at being able to thread those needles is because yeah. I do live I do comfortably live in those two worlds and yeah. having the the comedy and the horror and genre pieces um having those two things sort of live inside me simultaneously they don't seem separate to me mm-hmm. and it's very easy and it's still the it's still the setup punchline you know scare release <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. oh, like it's all that stuff and then also like that My big things growing up were um, I would inhale as much comedy as I could. Uh, I'm showing my age right now, but, like, my parents would have vinyl records of, like, Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. uh, Reality What a Concept, and then Steve Martin's, you know, uh, uh, Wild and Crazy Guy and all those kind of things. And then also I would, like, I would inhale uh, if if the HBO's, like you know, young Rodney Dangerfield's, you know, young stand-up comedian specials and all those kind of stuff mm-hmm. at a very, at a very early age where I should have not been listening to that. <laughs> but also I was a real nut for like the, all those kind of like schlocky, gory. I, I didn't know I wanted to be a filmmaker until I was like deep into high school. Cause I was like, well, shit, I have to start looking at colleges, which means I have to start thinking about like what I want to do. I was more of a musician and I thought I was going to make music for the rest of my life. But it, when I was a kid in High Point, North Carolina, there was a, there was a mom and pop video store that I could ride my bike to called Video Adventures, and they had Great. the best deal. It was five VHS tapes for five bucks, and you could keep them for five days. Five, five, five. <laughs> uh
2: so you used I to, Cassidy at... used to work at a video store that had the exact same deal, yeah. the same
0: promo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and So I would go, I would go up there, and I would get stuff. And since I was cool, and there was like. Teenage boys like running, like I'm 12 and they're like 16. They're like, Oh, this is pretty cool, little man. Like, and so, and since (laughs) I was just like, Since I didn't bug them or I didn't try and like hang around the store or steal shit and annoy them, like I would come in, I would pick my movies, not say anything, be a very serious 12 year old, which five (laughs) movies is it gonna be right, and then get those and they come. And so, after a little while, as long as I didn't go into the red section, yeah, the adult section. (laughs) Mm They they would fucking rent me anything. So Hellraiser, Rawhead Rex, The Geek, uh, <laughs> Killer Killer Clowns from Outer Space. But after after a while, like once once I started coming back, and the owners and the kids that work there, the older boys that work there, were like, "What would you think?" I'm like, oh, "Like I'm not talking about it like an aerodite, but I definitely was like, I definitely had a little bit more of a head on my shoulders." There. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know you you should definitely check out the little man. And then like so. I think, like, 13 or 14, I'm still riding my bike up there, but now I'm coming home with... Yeah, I'm coming home with Pumpkinhead, but I'm also coming home with Breaker Morant. You know what I am mean? Like, I'm on, like a, a bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. Like, like some like... Or, like, yeah, what's it? Like, the Northwest Passage, I, it's, which perfectly dovetails together the bit, because... I remember hearing a stand-up comedian, it might have been Robin Williams, God rest his soul, doing the, like, rancid bear grease. Oh, I think it was a Dana Carvey bit where <laughs> he did Walter Brennan from Northwest Passage doing, rancid bear grease. The mosquitoes hate the smell more than I do. And I immediately knew what the reference was. Yeah. Because as, because as a 13-year-old, I had watched it because they made me rent it. <laughs> So yeah, so like that's that's kind of where it all came together, and so that's part of like my DNA. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I'm sort of known as Keith knows from like my my blessing and my curse is my memory. So a lot of times when I do these, like when you make a movie, it's always it's always just college. For the next movie, mm-hmm. right? You're always learning mm-hmm. and building on the previous thing. But also, like, it was very easy for... It's easy for people to work with me because I don't storyboard anything. I don't believe in it. I try and not storyboard, if at all possible. Do you rehearse? One, if I can, but, you know, you don't... You don't want to, like, overcook it. I don't... I You know, you usually just... Money wise, budget-wise, you just don't have the luxury of rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, because of my background in improv and because of the kind of director I'm also an actor, so I'm an actor's director. Yeah. But also, but also the kind of director I am, I am not uh the first thing I do is I know how I want to shoot it. I've already worked out everything with my DP. Uh I don't do so, like I said, like I don't do storyboards because what happens is you put up storyboards on set and the people Particularly, maybe people who are involved with the film who are not necessarily uh, involved on the creative side mm-hmm. is the polite way I can say that <laughs> they will, lo- they will look at the storyboard and then get locked into that. And then yeah. when you and when they don't see on the monitor what matches the storyboard, they're like, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" I'm mm. like, "Well, something cool and more interesting has happened, and we're doing that now." <laughs> or. Yeah. Or we ran out of the money, fuck nuts, and so I can only do this in two shots instead of the eight that are there. Like, just let me work. Right. Um, but also the way I do that is since I know all that stuff, I don't storyboard, but my my director's books are this thick. You read them at your own peril. <laughs> when, so so, And I'm able to talk, because I was fortunate enough to go to one of the best film schools in the world, the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. I, I, I do have that sort of not to toot my own horn but I do have I am a big believer I should say in the Kurosawa method which is you know the director is a field general you have to know just a little bit about cavalry and archery and uh-huh. artillery mm-hmm. to be able to talk to your lieutenants who are experts in it so right. I can talk to every I can talk to every production head and give them uh visuals links youtube stuff like there there's nothing they can ask me where I haven't provided them. Like, how do you want the lighting to look in this scene? I'm like, like this, uh, like this robbery scene gone wrong from this 1992 Wong car Y movie. Here's the, here's the YouTube link. You don't ever have to ask me again because I'm, li- I'm literally not telling you, I'm yeah. showing you. And so when you build those things and I'm able to say all that stuff in the moment, since I have all that there, I'll walk into the room onto the set for the first time. Say it's, um, Say it's uh, Ted's office from Bloodsucking Bastards, mm-hmm. Joe Murray's character. Um, we're gonna we're standing. That's the first time we've shot anything in that room. We bring the actors in, and I will just stand off to the side with Matt, uh, with Mosher, my DP, and with Scott Kiger, my first AD, and I just let the actors. Block themselves. Just do the thing that you naturally want to do, mm-hmm. because I would much rather like if we're just running the lines and you guys are still kind of like halfway on sides, halfway not. And Pedro kind of, Pedro on his own walks around to the side of the desk and sits down and crosses his arms and leans over into into Emma Fitzpatrick's ear. Naturally, that feels like the right thing to do. I'd much rather have him keep doing that. Mm-hmm. and me move the camera around him versus going, no, no, no. In my brain, you were always over here standing <laughs> against the wall with your arms closed because you want that distance between you Cause that's something I read in a fucking book when I was right. directing, direct, <laughs> directing class in 1996. That's something like, you know, you know, Paul Verhoeven said or whatever. Right. And now we're having, now we're having these long discussions trying to justify why -hmm. your character would do that. What the motivation is. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I just let them go. Do it a couple times. Like, all right, cool. Pull them out. And then I turn to motion. I go like, all right, cool. What we're going to do is we're going to start here. We're going to shoot this way. That thing I had before, we're just going to move it over here now. Do that. But it's replacing that. Kyger's just making notes. He's like, so, so four C is now going to be for like we're cutting four C and what four D was is the same frame, but now we're going to be over here instead of there, and that's another reason why I'm able to work fast and work under budget. All my movies have come under time and under budget. Yeah, I've never, I've never gone over. I very, I pride myself on that. I was going to say, reason,
1: how do your uh, <clears throat> your continuity people like that method?
0: Because they lo- they love me.
1: Okay, they love me because I would think they would be <clears throat> really really nervous when you are no, changing just, the shot at in the moment.
0: I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because, uh, first of all, I do block shooting. I know a lot mm-hmm. of directors want to shoot piecemeal and like, no, I want to feel in the moment. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, we're shooting this way and then we're going to take 30 minutes for you guys to switch all the lights and then we're going to shoot this way. I've got it all in my brain. It's the mm-hmm. editor brain. Well, I know how to do this. But I keep my own, uh, I keep my own shot list. A, I make my own notes. I circle my own takes. I, I make the notes of what's in G and what's not in because I also used to do script continuity in college. Mm-hmm. And so... At in between setups or like in between scenes I should say uh where we're like all right we're moving on to scene 4d uh or like we're moving on to like scene scene eight right I go over to uh I give them I tell them after uh Mosher and Kyger start setting up the lighting I'll go over to my script continuity person saying like see all my stuff that I've written down here I've gotten rid of this you so, know and she just makes her shit match my shit now. And there were just two copies that I printed out to begin with. So they already match up. And then at the end, when we moved on to a new scene, I go, these are the takes I liked. And then she can make from that at the end of the day, when I'm with my uh, script continuity with scripty to make sure that we're like, get caught up for the day. Yeah. 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes. That's it's awesome. 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, which is great for my editors as well. My yeah. rough cuts, my rough cuts usually end up being closer to a fine cut slash director's cuts because they are reading in my handwriting which takes were good, which line I wanted to use <laughs> from it, first half, less half. So the first time I'll leave them alone for two weeks and then I come in and we're watching basically what's close to the finished product. So you're pretty, you're already. almost editing on set. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, th- like the, uh, the shot where, uh, Justin and uh, Joey are are uh, are juggling the candy bars. Yeah, we ran out of we ran out of time. I that's one shot, a big wide shot of both of them on either side of the frame, right? F- you know, cowboy from you know waist up to, to head. And I remember even Justin at one point saying like, "You don't want to cover this at all." I was like, "No, man, I already have it in my brain huh. because I know because these are cutaways during the big fight sequence between Emma, uh, Fran." And uh and Pedro, it's going to cut. It doesn't need to be entertain it doesn't need to be fast cut MTV style stuff because this is the and then back. It's hit hit back off, right, Keith? Hit yeah, hit back yeah, yeah. off. Hit, hit. This is the hey. back off part. Yeah. Nice. And, so, <laughs> and so it uh it I know I already see it in my brain. I know it works. And then when you see so when you watch it that in the when you watch the movie, it never occurs to you like, hey, there's no other coverage for that scene where those guys are juggling. And then of course the the actors love that because they're like, we gotta practice our juggling to make sure we can do it in mm. one
1: take.
2: You're like, Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Gives <laughs> them something to do between setups.
2: Uh so I'll skip the stuff about script writing versus improv. That
0: most of, you would think with our background and Dr. Gata being improvisers, most of that movie is scripted. There's okay. very there's very little there's very little improv in that movie, even though it feels like it. Well,
1: yeah, you yeah. did mention so the a, uh mm-hmm. you did mention the thing about how you were sort of in this basement and there were no windows and then i remember there is a joke about that in the film yeah. was that an on the set joke or was that pre-written How about there being um, no windows
0: uh we that was that was written on the set because we were like we got to mention something about it and then that being the big line of like are you telling me that we get so little sunlight <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one of my that's favorite one of the better jokes the yeah movie. that's a that's yeah. a great yeah. joke <laughs>
2: Yeah. I've worked in five places that are just like yeah. that and three that are worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was like, yeah. Uh, okay. So my question is, is uh, see how I snuck that question. in there? <laughs> nice. um, I- If you could, mm-hmm. is there anything you would update or change about the movie? Like uh, today?
0: Oh man. You know what? No, just because people seem to enjoy it so much. And I think everyone who's in it is really proud of it. Here's, and, and what we were able to accomplish we did that in 18 days I begged for 20 mm-hmm. and I was never gonna and I was never gonna get it I yeah. only I only didn't make my day once we we made I think we came up short like an eighth of a page and of course I was furious for hours <laughs> <laughs> um but I think everyone has such a here's how you know because all these guys are pros man uh all these people are working a time, for a long time Joey's a comedy machine Parvash works a ton Pedro obviously oh, yeah Fran. Fran is is his first movie mass that just came out, I highly recommend. That they're talking about multiple people getting nominated for Oscars from wow, that movie. All right, like all right. yeah. And and then like and then his work on Cabin in the Woods yeah, and all that yeah. and all that. Like everybody. Everybody's Joel Murray. He was on Mad Men. Like everyone's gold, right? I mean, you got a Murray. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we you really know when so all those guys are pros and they've done enough movies to know. And so I knew we were in good shape uh, on two different days. One, um, about a week in, where it's like, separately, a few of them might have been Yvette, uh, Yvette Yates, might have been Zabs, might have been Joey. But like, I remember there was a couple people who had mentioned randomly at different points, like at lunch or in the makeup chair or afterwards, just going, I feel like we got some. This is, feels pretty good. Like, good work today, right? They know. They know the difference. Um, a, a week weekend they know whether something is going to be a good movie or like, mm-hmm. ugh. Yeah, and then I knew we were, I knew we were really solid when Joey came up to me when we were shooting the fight sequences. So that means we're like deep and we're like week two easily. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, hey, 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 uh, can um can Joel talk to you for a second? He's he's got an idea." I was like, "Yeah, sure." I'm like, "Why is Joel not coming to me? I, <laughs> I've known Joel longer than you, but sure." <laughs> Um, he came over. He was like, uh, you know, uh, you know, when uh, uh, Joey and Dave are fighting and he hits him with the pencil, he could say, uh, yippee Kaye uh, Ticonderoga. Oh. Right? Because of the Ticonderoga number two pencil. Yeah. And then, jo- and then Joey just gives me one of these like, huh? That huh, looks right. I was, like, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, that's really funny. I'm like, yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely using that. And then Joey was like, yes like <laughs> weapons and that's what i knew like when they ran away, they like scampered away like high-fiving i don't think i've ever seen joel murray high-five anyone <laughs> in my life and so that's that's what i knew we were in good shape and we had something because when actors are coming to you pitching ideas for jokes for other actors in scenes that they're not even fucking in that yeah. means that means that means everyone's on board, the chemistry and the camaraderie is there. Everyone like wants this to be a thing. Yeah. And then and then at that point, like to go like, would I like to have more stuff? But no, like I'm when Evan when Evan's being chased through the cubicles where he does the, the bit where he's like uh the first the first night when he like sleeps there, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, that's that's when uh Justin gets attacked and uh you know Fran is running through everything and he does the joke of like <sighs> Somebody went to Harvard? <laughs> that scene, like, that room is so empty. Like, even even Fran, who was a sweetheart and would rather, like, would rather cut his own throat than complain about anything, even at that point, he was like, hey, man, it doesn't even look, like, finished. Are we going to put more, like, stuff in this room? Because it was cubicles and empty boxes, and if you looked at it, it looked like fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. So that forced me to fall, like, I'm a... a mm-hmm. I, I, my influences are the three Johns, John McTiernan, John Carpenter, and, and, uh, and John Frankenheimer. And if you watch any of my stuff, it is so obvious. I'm I'm (laughs) such, such a whore for all those guys. I have just ripped them off. So that really got me to like, force me to do my John McTiernan stuff, shooting close up, keep the mammer moving, Mm -hmm. just do small push-ins on like realizations and stuff like that. Have it just be, having people move for the frame and just doing things. I I know this is radio, not audio. I'm moving my (laughs) hands No, no, no,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, but
0: it's, It's giving that sort of energy and life to it, so that when you watch it back later, I I know when we watched it back later at at Slam Dads, uh, afterwards I just I didn't have to say it I didn't even say anything I just looked at Fran and I was like, I mean the room wasn't that empty right He's like ah yeah He's like so doing that um that's the stuff that's cool sometimes yeah. having a lot of money and I'm not that kind of director anyway like if it's on the truck I plan on using it mm-hmm. I'm not a guy that's like. I need three days of a crane and a U-bangy because I might do this one shot. That's not me. Right. I'm, I'm from mm-hmm. a yeah uh, yeah blue uh, blue collar. My dad's South Side Chicago. My mom's from a small farming town in Illinois. Like Irish Catholic. Like that's, I'm. I'm just not gonna waste money. That's money that we could be putting other places. Right. And you but, are yeah. and, and you already on the screen. And when you already don't have money to begin with, you gotta put every every thin cent. Mm-hmm. Every thin red scent on the screen, and so uh, no, and, and and so many other people are proud of it, and now I get to do stuff like this, and people get to discover it every once in a while, like because I I have a Google alert for my name and my projects, yeah. So every every once in a while, especially because Pedro is Pedro, right? I was gonna and, say yeah. the Pedro bump, right? For sure, it's 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 <laughs> a Pedro bump. I mean, it came out. It was far enough removed from Blood like Saga but still, like, I feel like I made the joke. Like it was like a month or so ago. Where I, uh, I think I did it on Facebook, where I was like, "Well, mom, I finally made it. I made it into a BuzzFeed listicle. Great! <laughs> <Right. laughs> it was like it was literally it was a qu- it was a quiz, a BuzzFeed quiz, uh, right before one. Yeah, so it was like end of December, right before uh, Wonder Woman came out. Uh, take this quiz to see how big of a Pedro Pascal fan you are. <laughs> have have you seen? have you seen these movies and right with like, you know, the equalizer two and all the, and like, and law and order SVU, like that Mm -hmm. one, like there, there was blood sucking bastards in there. And I was like, you know what? I am, I am proud to be a part of that. (laughs) And all the people, all the people that worked on it and, uh, have, have such like nice things to say. I know everyone who did it came out of it and was proud. And we all, we all got along really well. Like, 30 of us went to slam dance together. Mm -hmm. Not a single argument, not a single fight, not a single argument. That's great. We love each other. So So I I wouldn't change anything.
2: That's a good segue to my, my final question. Yes, please. Uh, what is your favorite part of the movie or your proudest moment of the movie?
0: Oh man. Um, I think if I if I'm allowed, because there's so many like iconic ones like TikTok motherfucker. <laughs> uh th- yeah. Th- any anytime we went to a festival and Dave Dave Park was with us who plays Dave in the movie. Yeah. If uh we knew that someone had seen the movie because they would see him, they'd go, TikTok, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, that's the catchphrase, right? And then like, of course, people uh hey, you're the janitor that exploded. Like for Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those stuff is great. Like that stuff is great because it's like we put a we put a fucking three quarters of a stick of dynamite into a a, a mold of my best friend and and blew him up like
2: that's <laughs> yeah, right. holy shit I so um I, w- I watched this for the first time in October when I was doing this mm-hmm. vampire kick and then I watched it again today and I was like oh fuck they blew that up oh, I like yeah. I noticed the explosion a lot more I was like it, damn
0: it was literally the very last shot on the very last day because we're like <laughs> if it goes wrong. At least we can, like, yo, we'll duck and let the insurance take care of it right like, you now. Everyone move your car. Con- but I think, I think for like the, the, my favorite moment is uh, there's very, I play the mailroom boy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my little, you know, I Hitchcock. caught you. Yeah, my little Hitchcock cameo. <laughs> Uh, which is hilarious because my mom didn't know I was in the movie I was like you watched it I'm your son I, I literally get I get my head cut off in a close-up by the lead where where did you think I was great makeup I guess um I think my favorite uh, my favorite part is being uh, next to Fran when Max is giving his big speech and he uh, and Fran is realizing that, uh the playing the character of evan he's not going to get the promotion so he's doing all these wonderful Franisms like what the uh you know because he's so good at doing that sort of like nebbishy like hold on a second uh ted like and it's me standing next to him uh a trying not to break and ruin my own goddamn shot but also like me giving these little moments of like like I've worked at this company as long as you are, and I'm still in the mailroom. Like, what do you have to complain about? Like, I'm, giving, <laughs> I'm I'm giving him these little side eyes. I'm like, that is good acting. I don't know if anyone will see it. I think I think the thing I'm most proud of is that not only am I I get to call these people friends now. Like I I got to have before all this went to fucking madness. Right. Uh, I got I got yeah. to go out and have drinks with uh, Fran before he he went back to New York to do a play and make his movie. So like I'm I'm proud of the fact yeah. that I'm still friends with all these people that they had, the, they had enough of a good time in the experience and trust me enough and enjoyed and, and think enough of my work to want to still know me. Not mm-hmm. only, not only as a filmmaker because it might be good for their career, but also as a person because it might be good enough. It might be good for their life. And I think the entire time as I go back and watch it, having people like who are friends of mine, who have been friends of mine for a long time, like Beth Russell and Marshall Givens mm-hmm. and Carve's China. And and James Warfield and, and and those people that were playing, you know, Jessica Rothert, Jay Rabbit, Mike Hughes, those people playing minor and supporting characters in the movie, having them go toe to toe with, like standing there with, fucking Oberyn Martell, yeah, and, and holding their own, mm-hmm. right, like watching my brothers in Dr God like Keith just said like that he's like I love that scene where it's Pedro going oh no 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 you have to you have to let them work it out for themselves that's Justin Ware from Dr God like that's yeah, yeah. I like watching like getting to kill Neil Neil's the person that we kill first <laughs> I'm like how great is this that I get to kill Neil and is in this dark room and like Neil actually doesn't do really good with like scares and stuff so I have, <laughs> so I have like you know I have the you know they have the um the wooden wedges that you like put underneath the uh, dolly track to yeah. like straighten yeah. it up. So we got two of those, and I'm clapping those together to like, <laughs> to like, ha- to legitimately get him to like, ah, whoa, hey. Like, and I'm like fucking with him. And I'm like, it, it is, it is to like, everyone has, we all have that dream as filmmakers and as creative people. The ultimate goal I've always said for me is like, I just want to make stuff, I want to make fun stuff with my friends the way that we started. Everyone grabs a camera everyone goes to film school and just wants to make cool short films or feature films Mm -hmm. with their friends and have a lot of fun and tell the stories that you think are interesting and have late night conversations like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then Carl, then Carl (laughs) says no to Susan because Susan doesn't know that Carl has always loved her. Holy shit, you gotta slow down, man. I gotta write that (laughs) down. And, And to be able to do that, to like, to be able to scale that up, do that with like actual fantastic real actors, realize that all of your friends are also fantastic real actors, quote unquote, real actors. And that like, you're allowed to be there too. (laughs) And then, and then like, there's no step of it. Like there's no step of it. That doesn't make you feel good and feel, uh, and humble. And like, this is the dream when people say, uh, you know, making movies is my dream. Uh, it's always I always like to remind them like well make sure that part of that dream is having fun and making fun shit with your friends because yeah
2: totally that's
0: a, that's a big part of it the money is great don't get me wrong but so f- <laughs> but so f- but so few of like I don't have life changing money I'm still living check to check yeah yeah but like so few of us make that great money then it's the memories my my big thing too is always like if I make five feature films I'll have enough that when I die. My film school can do a weekend retrospective. You there know, what we mean? Go. if I've directed five feature films after I die, you have to show them at the film school. If you have to show them at school of the arts and you have to talk about me, at least talk about me because I went here. That's, that's me for the goal. Make fun stuff with my friends. And then just get to that point where like, you have to remember me yeah. as part of the, as part of the curriculum, at least alumni yeah. status yeah all right That's ryan awesome.
1: well it was great having you on and great picking your Thanks, brain man. about filmmaking and of course getting on we talk a lot about movies but you know i've been on a couple sh- sets for shorts and stuff like that nothing on the scale of what you've made um but it's great to just be able to kind of get into the actual inner machinery of the process mm-hmm. with somebody who's who's done it and who's been there so and somebody Thank who's me.
2: passionate about it somebody yeah. who gives a shit like you know like yeah, so that's that's really cool, and you know it's a really fun movie. If you haven't watched it, check it out on uh, Amazon or Tubi. Um, it's it's well worth your time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ninety minutes. Yeah, and uh, is there anything you want to promote? To plug? Uh, yeah,
0: I'm uh, I'm at B3OC on all the social medias. Uh, that's at uh, letter B, the number three OC. Um, most of most of my IG is just pictures of the food that I cook. So don't get super excited. And, uh, <laughs> At uh, jokes, uh, Twitter is mostly jokes and pictures of cats. Uh, but uh, it's 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 boc I-T-S-B-O-C at uh, dot com. That's my website where you can find YouTube and Vimeo and all that. Obviously, uh, uh blessed like ambassadors, angry white man. Uh, some lots of people call it fabrication films and uh, tell them to release Killer Views so everyone can see it. It's still mm-hmm. the movie I'm the most proud of. It's still the yeah.
2: Number- I, well, shit. <clears throat> after that, I want to see it. The
0: number uh, to this day, the best two pieces of praise I've ever had from my work were both about Killer View. One was from a William Morris agent who told the producer, whoever made this movie is socially irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> If you're talking about my serial killer film that's also my writing and directing debut, I will take that. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Uh and then also the producer had a uh, a friend of the family who was a retired uh serial profiler from Quantico from the Behavioral Science Unit. He watched the movie. Uh he came back to you said this is the most accurate portrayal of a serial killer I've ever seen on film. Oh, and my fuck. Produ- Yeah, my producer was like, "Hell yeah. Can I put that on the b- Can I put that on the box?" He said, "Absolutely fucking not. Do not You cannot you, you said absolutely fucking not. You cannot put my name and that quote on the box. And once more, I don't ever want to talk to this guy. And I was like, yes! <laughs> oh, come on, man! Can you like imagine Scott Glenn being like, uh this guy, this guy has created the template for another Hannibal Lecter." I'm like, thank you. <laughs> People need to see this movie. Bother them. Fabric- fabricationfilms.com. Uh. If you uh, if you get down on a dark comedy that's about the banality of evil, I've got a movie for you. Is there right. anywhere people can
1: find Hell your the animation thing?
0: Yes, Hell is currently airing on uh, Sci Fi Channel as part of their Saturday night late night uh, adult animation block TZGZ. Mm. It's easy to remember because uh, TZGZ is just one letter more than Sci Fi S Y F I. <laughs> uh f -F y excuse me um yeah both uh both season one and season two are available there and on demand so if you have any sort of regular cable you can get it from them uh or their uh or the sci-fi channel or the nbc universal app i assume we'll end up on peacock like everybody else (laughs) yeah uh because we're we're part we're proud to be part of the nbc universal family uh then yeah like just uh give me work i need lit rep man i've directed three feature films i got a tv show there can't get arrested. Someone, someone, manage me for Christ's sake. <laughs> come on, come on. Well, pandemic time uh, is
1: uh, when you get all of the screenplay ideas out, right? Oh, yeah. I've, I've been, uh,
0: I've been doing a
2: lot of that. I've been doing a lot of that this week. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks for well, coming. Well, thank you on.
2: again. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this was awesome. This was a, a treat for me. Um, and me yeah great great Uh, and i i hope to hear from you soon again same
1: (laughs) all right and if anybody has anything to say about anything else that we talked about on this podcast or previous you can email us at monguffinpod at gmail.com you can also find us on Um, Instagram and Twitter at MacGuffinPod. You can find us on Facebook and like our group and follow us there. Uh, Facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod. Um, We are available to stream and download at Stitcher Radio, uh, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course iTunes. Um, Whichever one you use or prefer, please leave us a star rating and a review. Um, thanks again to Brian James O'Connell for coming on the episode and talking about your film and giving yes, us the inside, the inside baseball on all of that. Um, and uh, if you want to follow me individually, you can over at VC Cassidy uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Keith, what are your things?
2: You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster You can also check out my art account uh, on Instagram. At Sticky Note Aesthetic.
1: All right. And that'll be that for the episode.
2: Tick tock, motherfucker.
1: Bye.